you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. The band starts up. The congregation goes silent. The back door of the church begins to open and my heart starts to race. The flower girl sprints down the aisle and then the bridesmaids majestically, one after the other, stroll at a regular pace. And then the band hits the chorus and she turns the corner. My bride-to-be. Her hair done just so, the beautiful dress, the high-heeled shoes, which we'd talked about. <laughs> we're about the same height, and so we went back and forth, because I was wearing flats, and she was going to look taller than me. Didn't bother me, but she went with the high heels. Anyway, she turns the corner, and it's amazing. I'm smiling, and she's smiling, and I'm crying, and she's smiling. <laughs> and she reaches the front, and I shake her father's hand, and then I take hers. I say, Lexi, you look amazing. And she says, think tall thoughts. (laughs) That's one of my favorite memories of our wedding day. What should have been one of the most transcendent moments of my entire life. I was brought straight back down to earth in the most hilarious way. And... And I think I like that about my wedding. I only had three requests for our wedding day. I wanted great music, I wanted ice cream, and I wanted a jumpy castle. (laughs) Because I wanted a fun, down-to-earth kind of wedding. And I think God gave us that through Lexi's comment and, and other things. And the passage we chose was Revelation 21. Because as transcendent as this passage is, this vision of the future, the vision of the new heavens and new earth, I'm convinced it's deeply down to earth. It's beautiful, glorious, incredibly majestic, and yet really real. It's earthy. It acknowledges this life. And I think that's vital to see as we open Revelation 21 together. Because when we think about eternity, I think we get it wrong. At least some of us, some of the time. John Eldridge said this, Nearly every Christian I have spoken to has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. After all, the Bible says that the saints worship God in heaven, and without giving it much more thought, we've settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen, and our heart sinks. Forever and ever, that's it? That's the good news? And then we sigh and feel guilty that we are not more spiritual. Ever felt that guilt? That that maybe you should be more spiritual than you are, more excited about an eternal church service, let alone one at 11 a.m. on a Sunday? I wonder if you felt like that during our series. 
the vine, the trellis, and the crows. We've looked at a rule of life, different practices and disciplines to help us become like Jesus. And maybe they just haven't floated your boat the way you feel like they should have, but maybe you're feeling like you're not as spiritual as you probably should be. Well, if that's you, Revelation 21 is really good news because Revelation 21 is more than just transcendent. It's deeply down to earth. It's profoundly grounded in our human experience with all of its warts and struggles and pains and frustrations. And if we can see that, if we can see this picture of the future that is deeply down to earth, it radically transforms the way we do life here and now. So I've got three points. My hope with each of them is to show a transcendent thing in Revelation 21 and help us see the difference it makes to our lives here on earth. So the first point is this. In Revelation 21, we see that physicality will continue, so don't despise the dishes. Throughout all of history, there's been a war between two words, physical and spiritual. And you might not have anything against these words, but humans throughout all of history have built a wall between them and then felt it important to choose sides. Massive parts of the world look like this. They choose the physical side by saying that the physical stuff is relevant and therefore important. That's the stuff that matters most. Therefore, spiritual things are irrelevant to life and unimportant. The physical is good. I can see it. I can feel it. I can touch it. And so it's more real and therefore more significant. And this spiritual stuff, I don't get. It's hard to grasp. It's, it's weird and strange. And so it, it can't matter that much, right? I was playing golf this week with someone, and, and he said, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a church pastor. And he said, oh, well, I went and got a science degree, so that religion stuff's not for me. I'm more into facts. He's done this. And you'll be glad to know I beat him at golf. (laughs) But that is one way people go. They value the physical and, and not the spiritual. And yet there is another way to get this wrong, where you value the spiritual, but not the physical. And this is what heaps of religions do, and actually what heaps of Christians do too. They say, God is spiritual, therefore spiritual stuff is the only stuff that matters. All the physical stuff is irrelevant because the world will be destroyed one day anyway, and so anything spiritual is what really counts. And when you think like this, the point of life in this creation is is kind of to escape it to escape the physical stuff, to not be weighed down by it and have sacred and spiritual and transcendent experiences as often as possible. I once went on a prayer retreat at a convent. I didn't know there were still convents, but there is one. And I went there, and uh, the sisters who were hosting us were wonderful. They were doing some great ministry, and their hospitality was warm. And And they said, welcome to this property, it's big, there's heaps of space, make yourself at home, browse the library, wander the grounds, go exploring. We just ask that whatever you do, don't go anywhere near the little house over the hill. So my first thought was, it's definitely haunted, absolutely haunted, and I have to go there. (laughs) 
But then we found out more and realized in the little house over the hill was a sister who had sworn a vow of solitude. I hadn't heard about this as a thing, but she had many years ago decided that for her, she had to swear off any contact with the rest of the world as effectively as she could to separate herself from from people and places to escape. And it threw me a little bit. Because there's no doubt that's a, that's a very serious commitment. And it made me wonder, am I following Jesus wrong? Is that the way to be most Christian? Now, I don't actually know her story or what led her to those vows, but I do know that Revelation 21 would give us pause before we make a similar commitment. Because there is more than just your spiritual retreats that are spiritually significant. If you think that eternity is about escape, it's about floaty spirits on harps playing clouds, you've been watching too many ads for cream cheese. Because it's not that. The new creation is deeply earthy. Look at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Did you see it? It, It's not just heaven. It's earth, too. It's different. It's perfected. It's renewed, but it is not deserted. It's not left behind, and it's not insignificant. In this eternal picture, we get a sense that the spiritual and the physical realities belong together, and they will for all eternity. We know it because Jesus rose from the dead with a physical body. He defeated death eternally, and then he ate a fish because spiritual things and physical things go together, which means Driving a wedge between the physical and the spiritual, building a wall between them, would be a mistake for anyone who follows Jesus. And the temptation is real to say that the normal stuff, the mundane stuff, the physical stuff is fine, but the spiritual stuff, that's where the action is. Well, I think that's to minimize something that God really values. When we go about our pursuit of Jesus, trying to cultivate habits and develop practices that help us become like him, to appreciate and love and treasure and serve him more, the everyday stuff of life matters. Seeking to depart the world and its earthly concerns and just be heavenly all the time, there's a word for that, and it's Buddhism. And that's a different thing. It might be attractive, but but it's just not what the New Testament teaches. Because the New Testament would have us be in the world. Deeply embedded, engaged, a city on a hill, a light into the darkness. Different, absolutely, but not absent. We're present and we are involved. And that'll look different for each of us depending on life stage and circumstances and gifts and opportunities. I have friends 
who pray and fast for a whole day each week. They just set aside Mondays. And for them, that's a wonderful gift. For them and many others around them, a great way for them to serve and worship the Lord. And for all of us, others of us, Mondays are for changing nappies. For turning up to work again. To keep doing the thing you're doing. Because God has you there. Some of us worship and serve the Lord by praying, yes, and then by doing the dishes. Or or comforting a crying child or, or doing the best job we can at work. See, I'm not sure we need to choose between them. We can worship and serve and become like Jesus by rolling up our sleeves and doing simple, physical things. And it may not feel sacred, but it's faithful. And that makes it spiritually significant. Because the physical and the spiritual world are are maybe not as separate as we might like to think. So while that could look different, For each of us, depending on circumstances, there's one thing we all have in common, and here's a place to start with this. Ready? Make sleep one of your spiritual disciplines. You have a physical body, and it just works better when it's rested. Following Jesus is harder when you're tired. Isn't it? Godliness just feels a little bit further away when you haven't slept. And we can't all control that. Some of us have little kids. But where we can, we invest in our sleep, just like we invest in our Bible and learning the scriptures, just like we invest in gathering together, just like we invest in praying. Let's invest in sleeping, knowing that we're not just spiritual. We're spiritual and physical together, embodied souls. Physicality will continue, therefore, don't despise the dishes. Here's the second heading. Suffering will conclude, so don't deny reality. Revelation 21 gives us a picture that some things will continue, but it also shows us that some things won't. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There's two promises there, just about crying. God will wipe away your tears, and then there will be no more crying. The day is coming when you will cry your very last tear. And after that, you just won't need them anymore. And then mix that together with the idea that there's no more sickness. And we can rightly expect the end of the tissue industry for all eternity. (laughs) They serve no purpose when there's no snot and no tears. But this is our hope. Bless you, by the way. (laughs) You'll be done with tears forever. Imagine that. But as you do, remember, right now your tears are important. 
they belong here because they're honest. Jesus was the perfect human and he walked this earth and he wept. And so we can too. Maybe we should. Because there is mourning and there is suffering and there is pain this side of the new creation. And so I want to say, if you find the Christian life hard, that's normal. Because that's where we are. In a broken world that hasn't worked the way it's supposed to since the third chapter of the Bible. The world is chaotic, it's fractured, and the devil prowls around making it even harder. And so it's no wonder that following Jesus is tough. And this is why we should persist with the kind of things we've talked about in this series, developing a rule of life, a a kind of trellis or support structures that help us move towards Jesus because we won't drift there naturally. The tide is not heading in that direction. And so we need to actively pursue Christ. So we put in place practices that help us resist the world and the devil, but, but we do that knowing that one day the tears will end. The world will be put back together and, and the day is coming where the one who sits on the throne will say, behold, I am making all things new. That's how this ends. With no more crying or mourning or pain, no more sickness, no more curse, no, no more frustration, no, no more struggle to get out of bed and read your Bible again. No more news headlines that just make us sad. See, we are not in a circle of life going around and around and around and never arriving. That's Buddhism again. No, we're going somewhere. And it's good. It's renewed. It's perfected. But we're not there yet. Now, I like to think I go to more weddings than most people. For starters, I'm a pastor. I play in wedding bands. And what's more, a lot of my friends are Christians in their early 20s. So I just get to a lot of weddings in my life. And the more I go, the more I'm convinced the the wedding industry is totally messed up. It's never been harder to plan a wedding in a God-honoring way. And I blame the wedding magazines and the Instagram accounts who only present pictures of weddings that are perfect. Pictures where every single person is beautiful somehow. Where everything seems expensive, where it never rains. They paint a picture of a wedding where there's not allowed to be tears. And that means when you plan a wedding, there is so much pressure to be perfect. But I think planning a wedding as though it needs to be perfect, particularly this side of the new creation, that's a recipe for disaster. Because when you put pressure on a wedding to be perfect, that's 
fundamentally dishonest. I don't know about you, but for starters, some of my friends are just not that good looking. Other fr- not you guys, my other <laughs> friends. You have bad hair days. It rains. There are just things this side of that wedding that we look forward to, things this side of that which don't go the way we'd like them to. And that's okay. Stuff goes wrong because the world is broken. But if you refuse to acknowledge that, you end up suppressing what's actually going on and putting on all this pressure to be perfect. And I fear that what happens with the magazine wedding happens with the Christian life as well. That we feel all this pressure to look perfect and pretend that it never rains. And so when someone asks you, how's your rule of life going? You exaggerate the wins, minimize the struggle. You you pretend that everything's going great because you feel this pressure to be perfect and it leads you to become dishonest about how you're really going. Church is not a place for put-together people. It's a church for sinners who've been saved. We're kind of just muddling our way through. So let's be the kind of community where it's okay to cry sometimes. The kind of community that wants to mourn with those who mourn. The kind of community that knows when we live and agrees to carry one another's burdens, even when they're heavy. Knowing that that is the world. But only for a little while. Because one day the tears will end. We're just not there yet. And so for now, the tears belong. They don't drown us. We don't sink because we have a hope of a better day that's coming, but, but the tears are okay for a time. And so we can be honest as we look at the wedding that's to come and just admit we're not there yet. But one day we will be, and that brings us to our final point. The bride will be beautiful. So don't despair your progress. So much that comes to a crescendo in Revelation 21. The end of suffering would be one. That the union of God with his people fully present. There's just promise after promise after promise in the Old Testament being fulfilled in this passage. And at the heart of all of it is a bride. A bride. Throughout the book of Revelation, the church, the believers in Jesus are portrayed as a city a new Jerusalem in which God dwells and as a bride. And then in the most spectacular mixed metaphor in all of history, John pulls them together. And just so we're clear, the bride and the city are the same thing. And the thing is us. The church. The people of God. And look what we look like in verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And as you go on in this chapter and the next, John gives a whole bunch of weirdly specific measurements about exactly how high the walls are and how long the city is and what all the building materials are. But it's all combined to make a very simple, very beautiful point. She's perfect. It's finally there. Everything in this city is exactly as it should be and the bride is beautiful. Fully and finally united with Jesus and, and she looks the part. Not a single stain or blemish, just white as snow. And I'm all too aware that as I read Revelation 21, that's not me. Not yet. I'm all too aware of the stains and the specks of dirt and the distance between me and that image of perfect, unending purity. And I know that Jesus died to save me from it. I've been bought by his blood. And I know that my future is secure and I know that he's at work in me, moving me towards that. It's true for all of us. He's at work moving us towards that, to the moment, to the day when we are far more beautiful than we could ever imagine, as beautiful as a bride dressed for her wedding day. Not a hair out of place, as white as snow, pure and unblemished, without sin. You won't just be united to Jesus, you'll finally look the part and your struggle with sin will be over. The tears will be wiped away. And so the rule of life we've been talking about, it's kind of a recognition of reality that we're not there yet. The world is broken and my flesh is broken too. But I won't be forever. And so for now, I run a good race and I fight a good fight and we persist with the rule of life, but we do it knowing one day, even the rule of life will be totally transformed because we'll be changed. I'll give you an example. There's a great little story in three of the Gospels where Jesus is sitting around eating with his disciples and some of the religious leaders say, Jesus, what's the deal? You and your guys, you're not fasting John and his disciples, they fast. The other religious leaders, they're fasting twice a week. And your guys, you're not fasting at all. What gives? And Jesus says, the wedding guests do not fast while the groom is with them. The thing that fasting prepares us for is here. And we don't need it right now. Jesus goes on to say, the time is coming when the groom will be taken from them. Talking about his death. And at that point, fasting belongs again. Fasting makes sense when that's the case. But then we get to Revelation 21. 
he will be with us. As our God, the groom will be back and fasting will end. Because this is a day for feasting. See, we need things now to help us focus on Jesus, to help hold up the vine we're trying to become, the the things that help us move closer to Christ. But we won't need them forever. We fast now because we want to get closer to Christ, but on that day, we'll see him face to face. And we fast to resist our mortal flesh, but on that day, we'll have resurrection bodies. We fast to resist our evil desires, and on that day, we won't have any. So much of what we need to fight the good fight, we won't need forever. We, we just won't call it praying. We'll call it talking. And if we have a rule of life in the new creation, I can tell you exactly what it is. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, because you have perfected desires. They're not out of order anymore. You want what Jesus wants, and so do whatever you like. That's what perfection will look like. So for now, we need spiritual disciplines to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, but only for a little while. The struggle is real, but it's temporary because the world will be put back together and our flesh will be renewed. C.S. Lewis paints a beautiful picture of this. So as the band comes up, check this quote out. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I don't know what you think you're working towards, but this is better. If you're pursuing the Australian dream, you can do better. Because one day the bride will be beautiful and every tear will be wiped away and he will be with us as our God for all eternity. And so knowing that's where you're headed, don't give up. Don't despair when progress towards that goal seems slow. Keep going and when you stumble, come back to Jesus the one who lets us drink from the water of life without price. But remember, that's how this ends. That's what we're moving towards. So keep going. Persist with the prayer practices that you've been trying to build and just seem so hard to nail. Keep going. Keep getting up to read your Bible. Keep coming on Sundays. Keep asking one another and encouraging 
one another all the more as we see this day approaching. Keep fighting the good fight, knowing this battle is only for a little while. Knowing that God will not desert us or this world, knowing that one day the tears will end and the bride will be beautiful. Knowing that he who began a good work in us will see it to completion. Let me pray. God, we thank you for this hope. Would you lodge this hope so deep in our hearts? Help us long for that day and help us wait for it well. Help us persevere. God, we pray you'd bring it soon. We, we ask, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.